I just wa- I was actually uh, earlier today watching uh, uh, Police Academy two. Oh, the uh, first assignment. Yes, yeah. that's the Bobcat Goldway villain introduction. Yes, <laughs> that's been ages since I've seen that one. Oh yeah, does it hold up? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. What a question! A, a lot of the humor is is dated. Most of those eighties comedies, uh, yeah, your mileage may vary in how well they hold up. I, I used to love. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds, but now that ending, I could barely watch it. There's a lot of overt. What I will tell you is, there's a lot of overt bigotry that is yes. is portrayed in the in in the comic sense that you're just like I'm sitting there watching it and going like, oh wow, yeah. I can't believe they would have gotten away yeah. with that even back then. That's like like uh, uh, Michael Winslow's partner is is very you know he's always calling him boy and he's like i never took nothing from you people and i'm not gonna start now and i was like what <laughs> did he just say that <laughs> yeah. i was just like oh yeah. fuck but and, and those are just were, a couple of examples 80s comedies were very overtly white yeah well <laughs> what during the reagan era i mean I right i i'm so shocked it's interesting though because those the characters do get their "quote unquote" revenge on yes. those, those later on to try to balance the scales and the air quotes in that comic sense, but it's still it's, yeah, it's the, the bad guys. The setup of that yeah. premise that requires that character to avenge themselves is is avenge me uncomfortable now. Uncomfortable. <laughs> that's a good word for it. As, the, I, the, as I'm older and wiser, I guess if the, you want the to uncomfortable eighties. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 552. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Uncomfortable K. And we are to talk week and geek. Gentlemen, how you been? Good. All right. You know, surviving. Hey, surviving yeah. is the right word. Yeah, basically. Week, yeah. week to week. You know, week you know what I have lost Uh-oh. in this whole thing Uh-oh. is nearly my ability to read. Whoa. I know. Of, of all, the, all the goddamn things. I I am I'm still only halfway through the uh, the Jim Butcher book the the second Dresden book uh-huh. and that what I started reading that what two months ago oh wow Are, yeah but, but you have always kind of read more to relax and to it doesn't work yeah with with all that's going on you know I I, I would you need things to distract you like writing right. your minis and doing Minecraft and I would go to work early. Yeah. I would sit down, read for a little bit, kind of get in my zone, go to work. During break, I'd sit down, read a little more before bed, read a little more. Read three times a day. Now I can crack it open, and I might get through a few paragraphs before I can't concentrate on them anymore and then must watch a video because my brain yeah. can't process words. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my, my Kindle, uh, you know, you used to get those... Uh, your Kindle uh, measurements, your your like statistics or something, oh, yeah, weeks yeah. in a row, days in a row, everything's zeroed out now. I just, it's funny. I'll, I'll pop open, I'll read a little bit, I'll close it, I'll maybe open up another book, read a little bit, close it, then I don't open the Kindle for a week. You know? Yeah, I, I did. I did actually buy. I did actually buy. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, At first, I thought you were pulling the mic away to avoid doing that. On it, and then <laughs> no, I realized, no. nope, he's Kay. going to magnify it. If, if It's been 500 episodes, so if you haven't realized now, <laughs> Kay magnifies whenever he belches on the show. Yeah. And I do what I can to nullify it, but it doesn't always <laughs> fucking work. I push the mic up against my Adam's apple when I belch. Right. That's, which that's, which that's, also somehow pushes it against my soul, and it's really <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> That sounds like you were writing a novel there. It's like, I pushed the mic against my Adam's apple yeah. so that I can make <laughs> Yeah. Um, I got uh, back issues of Knights of the Dinner Table. Oh, fun. And so I actually did sit down and read through that and actually had some great laugh out loud moments. Now, for those who so, aren't familiar, Knights of the Dinner Table. It's an old, it's a 275 issues now is this still oh, going yeah wow oh, i thought they had wrapped yeah. that up I no wow didn't, didn't no. know that they're they're approaching 300 no signs of stopping uh but it was just a little amateurish strip uh that uh a guy um, a little the art's a little bit above stick figures yeah yeah he he's a lousy artist jolly and he uh I for, oh my god i forgot uh, jolly's i'm blanking on jolly's last name but blackburn blackburn that's right and he was running a game magazine called shadis as a filler, he just threw this little comic in, and it was sort of like one character saying to the other character, "What do you mean he's immune to uh, to 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 my crossbow bolts?" And he's like, "He immune? He kills you?" And he's like, and he just stares at him for a panel, and then the fourth panel is, "Does this have anything to do with the five bucks I owe you?" <laughs> it's like the first one, isn't it? Yeah, and that that became <laughs> the riff. It just became a riff on gamers and gaming, but the before Dork Tower. Before yes. Penny Arcade. Before all of that. This is like early 90s, right? Yes. Yeah. Way back. And uh, one of the... And maybe maybe <clears throat> Snarf Quest is older. Mm-hmm. Pro- oh, wow. Probably the only thing. It's old enough, in fact, that uh, for a brief time, they were doing uh, KODT uh, spinoffs in Dragon Magazine before Dragon Magazine ceased to be a print thing. Ah, so, yes. So this this comic has gone on for years and years. It got picked up, Jolly and the the comic got picked up by a group, Dave Kenzer and Company, who did done some games and stuff, and they've created this little teeny tiny empire of theirs. Um, they actually got the license. Uh, the whole game is uh, the game that the the knights play is called Hackmaster, and they were riffing on D and D, but they eventually got the license to first edition D&D to do their own version of that called Hackmaster. And they did that for years upon years. Have you ever read the Hackmaster <clears throat> manuals? I have. I have the manuals, yeah. Me too. They're so great. They're insane. <laughs> They're insane. Because they, 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 they play everything up. There's yeah, a chart for everything. Yes, There's... if you think of the most satirical <clears throat> Dungeons & Dragons game of, like you think about Munchkin and how Munchkin is as a card game of yeah. just bust open the door, f- kill monster, grab loot. Yeah. That's Hackmaster. Yeah. But yes, with thousands of tables. Oh, they just, they they totally just joke it up with, with, uh, with the, having an overabundance of mechanics and tables and stuff like that. And the the comic strip has grown beyond its joke because they they started incorporating the game company that makes Hackmaster and uh, Gary Jack- Jackson, which is a combination of Gary Gygax 
and uh, Steve Jackson, two you know the two two of two of our great uh, RPG pioneers, um, and they they just have created this whole world, and they make fun of tournaments, they make fun of of uh, gaming conventions they 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 go into everything and they also develop relationships with the characters and that's one of the beauties of the game they've done some really cool stuff just developing the characters as they play these games they they reached a point where they were ready to actually hire a professional artist to draw the panels <laughs> and uh, part of the charm is its scraggly yes. art yes it is. and and so when he got a massive amount of feedback of no don't do that he actually backed off and he continues to it's funny too because he does a little bit of original drawing and ton a shit ton of cut and paste <laughs> For the you, you don't need a lot of no, you varying don't. action on that table. No, you don't. No, you don't. So it's it's just funny. They they have their typical stereotypes. So there's Bob, who's the min maxer. And the thing that got me laughing so fucking hard is they play at BA's house. BA runs the game and uh, he lives with his mom and they play on their kitchen table. As a switch up B.A. introduces a game where they're going to start their characters as themselves. But B.A. assigned their stats. And so Bob gets pissed because B.A. gave him a strength of four. Now, this is on the three through 18 scale of D&D, where 10 and 11 would be average. And this is like a two or three page strip. And the whole time, Bob is bitching about his strength while everyone else, Dave, who's a bit of a dim bulb, is bitching about his intelligence. Uh, Sarah, B.A.'s cousin, gets a little offended because B.A. actually includes a, a looks score. <laughs> and then he rates her an average. And she, so, you know, but then, you know, uh, they get into quirks and flaws. And she's like, what's this, B.A.? Childbearing hips, well endowed. <laughs> and meantime, the whole time, Bob is like, I am too strong. You guys know that. I worked out that one summer. Don't you tell me I'm not strong. <laughs> and at, at the end, at the end, Bob just gets infuriated to the point. He's like, I'm just, I'm gonna, I can't stand. And he goes to do a table flip. And he can't do it, and it's three panels of him trying to table flip, and he can't lift the dining room table, and then he passes out from the strain of trying to flip the table, and I that's just so in keeping with this universe. I laughed until I hurt. It was such a wonderful, wonderful moment. I absolutely just loved it. So it was, it's been a long time. I have three, uh, three issues that were backed up. Uh, waiting for me at Ralph's. God bless him. He set him aside for me. Oh, fantastic! And uh, yeah, I just love. He's just wagging his tail in your space, isn't he, yeah. Jeff? Well, he was hitting me with it a minute ago, <laughs> so I had to move my arms off the it's table on purpose. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's trying to. He's trying to tell me. He's like, "This is my table." <laughs> really? He's he's just he's just sitting here owning it right now. Well, I can't Has help he it. That's what I do. On the table like this while we've been recording. I do it every time, Jeff. Well, I know he's, you do, but he's he's he 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 goes back and forth because usually he's you know? just all over. He's the all table, over the table, and then he's he'll off. be underneath us. I'm an right. active guy, but there have been times when 
<laughs> when he's gone upstairs and just gone to bed. Yeah. Well, you know? sometimes you guys get to talk about something I'm not interested in, and I just let you go. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that comic. And the nice thing, too, is it's actually a big comic. Uh, it's a game magazine. They have, they have their own edition of Hackmaster now with a system that they've developed. And these guys, these guys are good. They, they developed their own workable system. Uh, they've actually gotten uh, Origins Awards for their stuff. They have Cattle Punk, which is a version of Hackmaster, which is a, a Western game. And so they have a whole bunch of stuff, game reviews, gamifying movie articles, and a whole wealth of stuff that's just, that's just great for the gamer. And Nights it, of the Dinner Table. Nights of the Dinner Table. They collect their old issue in what they call Bundles of Trouble, trade paperbacks. So you can go back and get the past issues, and I definitely recommend it because it is funny. You're going to recognize people that you, uh, you've gamed with at some point in your life. They have a little community that's grown up, people constantly writing in. They have a thing called the Gamer's Chair, which is a, a eulogy for a group member who has passed away. That's nice. And they will... They will honor requests to print the uh, gamer's chair when somebody writes in about a, a group member that has passed away. That's really nice. Yeah. So, I mean, they've developed a whole community. It's really, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, and a friend of mine gifted me with uh, ha, uh, Knights of the Dinner Table number one. Oh, wow. Way back in the 90s, and I've stuck with them since. It's the one comic, the one comic I have stayed with all these years. Decades. I discovered him in Shadis Magazine. Wow. When I worked at the bookstore, he started carrying, oh, look, a new game magazine. Oh, my God. Something that isn't Dungeon and Dragon. Holy crap. That's amazing. Right? I wish I still had it. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, wow. I, and now I'm pissed. <laughs> he knew KODT before me. That's just not fair. Well, to be fair, the guy who wrote it kind of conceived the whole damn thing Half an hour from where I grew up. Well, that's that's true. It 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 uh, Muncie, Indiana yes. functions very heavily. Yes, in yes, the it whole, does. Oh, Muncie! Uh, did you, <laughs> yes. you you okay? Now that I'm beginning to remember things, you've talked. You've been to the game to the the the, the gamers pit. Uh, the Weird Pete's. Yes, Weird Pete's you, gamers pit. It was it was called the the Wizards the wizard's cove or it was called the, the wizard's dungeon mm. or something like that but yeah it's just off like the village of ball state university it's right. right there yeah but yeah i knew weird pete right yeah <laughs> yeah i knew the guy that's right i remember now you knew weird pete yeah son of a bitch and yeah he, uh, he he was <laughs> he was real particular <laughs> i mean he, uh, one of those things like uh, if you're not gonna buy a nerd, it, if you're not particular, gonna, but no. he, was, he, was, he was like one of those guys that the cliche of the book store, uh -huh. whereas like if you're if you're not gonna buy that, put stop yeah. reading it, and put it down, that <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, he's not one to allow the two page test. If you right. can read the first two pages and you're hooked, exactly. Just, <laughs> put that down, but I have it. Put it down, okay. Which is really funny because that's one of Weird Pete's uh, uh, go-to lines in in the comics. <laughs> it's, yes, yeah. it is. Hey, this ain't no library. He had a little video game room in the back, which had about four games in it. 
partially broken, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, he did have a copy, have a, a stand-up of Splatterhouse, which was pretty rare, mm. which is that side-scroller that uh, c- caused a lot of uh, parental issues in the arcade because you're, you look like you're Jason. You have a hockey mask on. You got a machete, and you're rescuing your, from your, your girl from a haunted house where she was kidnapped. <laughs> Wow, I haven't thought of that game in and, and it's decades. Just, and it's, and, and every, and they threw That's everything great. on the wall in that that game. There's 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 alien stuff, the movie Alien, and so on. And right. Oh wow! The, the, the whole game is a cease and desist. That's nice. Uh, but his version had like somebody spilled a milkshake on the inside of the screen. So oh it's, no! So it's not like something you could ever clean up, but it was always just constantly just dirty oh. from the inside. Oh, <laughs> I don't know no. how you do that. <laughs> Jeff, I love that the agony on Jeff's face. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I used I used to love. I mean, if if I was going to Muncie and I was going to be anywhere near Ball State, I would have to go to that shop. Wow, have to, have to, have to. Oh man, that's uh, that that was my go to place to buy RPG stuff growing up. Oh. That that was aside from like. The basic stuff you get at Walden Books, your basic box set, your expert box set, and your advanced manuals, and a handful of modules at KB Toys, mm-hmm. that's the uh, the place to go. Yeah. Wow. That's oh, great. Memory Lane. Oh, yeah. And, and, oh, Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse. <laughs> that's great. You know, uh, that's I, j- yeah. j- jolly. Gee, jolly. Geek Shock should be mentioned. <laughs> in, D- in KODT. And I always wondered if I just unwittingly passed by Jolly Blackburn at some point in our lives. Probably. It almost sounds like you would have. Although, well, I don't know. I mean, he... He's, he's probably a little older than me. Yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. So, but not, not that, that much, because I started going there pretty young, so I'm, I'm guessing he would have probably been at the most in his 20s, so it's possible. Yeah. Well, he did serve for a while. Okay. So he uh, he would have been in and out of town, but I don't know, man. I don't know. What might have been? We could have yeah, been. really. Geek Shock starring Jolly I, Blackbird. I, I just, <laughs> you knew Weird Pete. I knew Weird Pete. Oh, I'm not sure I'm better for it. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, what geeky things you do? I watched uh, or started to watch High Score on Netflix. That's the new uh, video game. I completed game the whole Avengers. damn thing. Did you? Oh, I'm almost getting to end in one sitting. It, I started it too late at night because uh, I, I fell asleep during episode two and looked up, saw the clock was like 4 a.m. And I'm like, I, I got to stop for, for the <laughs> night. Um, but yeah, it was like one of those like, oh, yeah, I forgot that. It started on Netflix and watched, finally finished season one of... Harley Quinn and no, no, started. Don't, don't move on yet. We're two. still talking high score. Uh, that first episode's really interesting. Uh, it's it is very much in the same vein of yeah. the toys that made us yes. that kind of thing. Although with the high score thing, I I think the little entertaining entertainment segments in the middle, some of them are trying a little too hard. Yeah, they're they're getting these guys who are obviously not comfortable doing these little plays they're making them act out yeah. that they're going to add graphics to and it, it just looks really awkward in some yeah. of those moments but i will say that i love some of the deep dives yeah that this goes on they they made a promise that they were going to talk more about talking to people that were coding and did the music and so on the stuff that never gets talked about in video game history documentaries that are out there 
and impressive stuff. Yeah, the it. stuff with Space Invaders is like, I didn't know what the origins of the the sprites were, and suddenly it's like, oh, I thought an octopus would be scary as an alien and invader, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I literally was dumbfounded by his reasoning, but yeah. and it, it worked it, in the game. And it's the guy that created it. You're yeah. not going to get a more official... Like answer than that. It's fantastic watching his like his like really detailed sketches and then being broken down into the sprites, which one of very, the, very basic, especially in the early video game development. One side page has the sketches, the other side the sprites, you see yep. where it all comes together. Yeah. And it's just like wow. And I was uh, I was especially you probably haven't gotten to this episode, I think it's the next one you come to, where it talks about the rise of the RPG through computers and mm. then on to things like Square Enix's games. Uh, but they do a little touching on on Ultima, and that inspired me to go back and revisit Ultima this week. I booted up uh, Ultima 4. Uh, if you're not familiar, uh, Richard Garriott created the Ultima games in the 80s, started with a Calabeth in 1979. The first computer game I ever bought. The reason I wanted to get a computer, a Commodore 64. I, I didn't care that it was a Commodore. I wanted this game, Ultima 3, yep. Exodus with the evil-looking demon that I had to convince my mother, no, it's okay, it's not going to send me to hell. That must have been difficult. It was. But... You have to know his mom. <laughs> but it was D&D on a television screen that I could control, and it was amazing, and it captured my imagination. But what Garriott did next with Ulta Before really has never been done again, and, and to my knowledge, because... The first three games are, there's an evil bad guy, go kill it. Yeah. And he was expecting people to be heroes in the game, but he gave the optional, like, steal from innkeepers and things like that. And right. Attack guards. And he noticed that people were playing this game just as bad as the bad guys would be. So he wanted to create a game where being a good guy was the point. So he created Ultima Four: Quest of the Avatar, and there is no villain in the game. the ob- The object of this game is to become a better person than you are, <laughs> than you started, and with 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 basic tenets of morality, uh, like like honor, justice, humility, uh, valor, compassion, spirituality, which is not like a religious sense, but just in knowing your knowing yourself. Right. And you would do things within the game to you go to the various shrines and meditate on them, so on. But you would have to exemplify these virtues within the game. Again, this is 1982, 83. Yeah. When this is out, a tile-based RPG. And that, that was, and the whole thing is you, you come to learn that all of these virtues are, are based on the tenets of courage, love, and truth. And each one is a combination of those. And he got that idea from the Wizard of Oz. They were based on the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and, and that's the whole thing. And I realized uh, this week uh, that, holy shit, more than being brought up in Christianity, more than being brought up by my parents, I was probably taught by more than comic books, I was probably taught my moral code from this game wow. growing up. And because I played so much of it, and then that's what you did. If creatures were running from you, like, like evil ones, like orcs, it's not valorous to shoot them in the back as they go. 
So you would let them run away. If you attacked non-evil creatures like uh, snakes or rats, you were expected to run away from them and not engage from them. So you weren't about ending the the bloodline to prevent the storyline from coming back to revenge. Right, (laughs) right, no. And and so in the game... You could not complete the game if you did not act valorous. The whole object of this game, you're not creating characters like you did the first three. You played yourself. That It, it, it starts with this whole thing. You go to a, a tarot card reading at this uh, carnival over the hill, and a fortune teller starts pulling out these cards, and they're virtue cards, and the game would start ask, asking you questions like, uh, you are bound to a lord, and you learn that the lord is has asked you to throw over this family in this house. Do you honor your oath to the Lord and unjustly throw them out, or do you heed the justice and stand up against the Lord? Two virtues that you will be fighting against, pitted against each other, and where you ended up with this card reading is your class in the game. And that decides who you can who's going to join you on your quest and all your starting stats what you can and can't do wow so it, it and every game from then kind of started that way and then ultima 5 came out and turned the fucker on its head and this is this is the brilliant one two punch of richard garrett ultima 5 the king of the land richard garrett himself now called lord british uh, has disappeared into the abyss. The abyss is where the Codex of Ultimate Wisdom is that he had to rescue in the Ultima Four. His protege, Blackthorn, is now in charge of the country, and Blackthorn has codified the virtues into law. So to the and so the sec, the uh, fifth game is about the ills of legislating morality, and that's what that whole game is about. You are now in an underground against the uh, the government that you were basically working for in the last one because they've instituted rules like thou shalt always tell the truth or you'll have your tongue cut out or you will sacrifice half of what you earn or you'll have no income uh, or you will help those in need or you will suffer the same need. And it's a massive, complex story with a complex worldview yeah it's pretty deep that these two games just back to back were just a one-two punch to my moral upbringing and then ultimate six was was kind of crap and seven was okay and then after that it really shit the bed (laughs) but those two games are an absolute gem of video game history and so i started playing ultima four again just to get in touch with that again and it's and it's impressive it is just impressive that this kind of game design existed that early. I don't know. I know I went on a long thing on that. but no, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's what High Score led me to. So thank you, High Score Documentary, for bringing me down that road. In episode one, one of the things that I, I had completely forgotten about the Fairchild Channel F. Oh, I mean, yes. And, and, and I did not know that that was the... The console that create that was essentially responsible for the creation of the cartridge-based system, and the poor guy that that basically developed it passed away without ever seeing. Nearly the, lost to history. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and he's an African American gentleman as well. Yes. And I don't remember him ever being talked about in any other documentary series. So who I was, talks about the Channel F? Yeah. Well, I and and the fact that that development really launched. 
the way we played games for almost the next decade and a half. Everything was cartridge-based up until we got the, the first CD-ROM-based system. So. Although, to be fair, yeah, the last classic game expo that I went to here in Las Vegas before they moved on to Texas, they had, they, in the back room, they would have all these rare video yes. games, whether they were stand-ups or consoles. Like, right. they had that massive Xbox, original Xbox Mech Warrior game. Right. You had that massive console that you bought just for that game. That that was available. It was the first time I ever got to sit and play on that thing. I think right. Darren had that, didn't he? Uh, yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. He did. He yeah, did. that's the guy. The Darren, he's the the bartender at yeah Star Trek. If you didn't the know, world's most Cork's most famous bartender. Yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, but in there, they had the Fairchild Channel, Channel F. F. Yeah, and uh, my wife and I were just dating at the time, and she went there, that, and I about lost my shit. Like you don't understand, this console does not exist. To be played anywhere. No, nobody doesn't. has this. This this console is in museums. I saw it in that one that we went to at the plaza, where they had all of the museum pieces just on tables, and you could walk around and right. and look at them. But it wasn't functional. Right. So that was my first time ever seeing one in person. I got to and sit down to and play, play it. it. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it predates Atari. <laughs> it does. So it, it does. Yeah, so and, <laughs> to and, be fair, which is why I thought it was interesting that that's the one that created the cartridge-based system that Atari would use, ColecoVision would use, Nintendo would eventually use for both the the NES, the SNES, it's Nintendo sixty-four, and, well, and the Sega systems too. They all use cartridge-based. Certainly. So yeah, that was that was pretty impressive that 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 was the console that is like you said is essentially lost to history the man that created that type that system and i'm and not just the actual channel f system but the the way to make your games into cartridges that could be used just it's 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 fascinating that that literally got lost to history even the vetrix and the odyssey 2 get more yeah. airplay than the channel f yeah exactly so yeah, uh, I was glad that they they spent some time with that, and then having his family show pictures of his working on the the, the picture is adorable where they said he would fall asleep at his at his uh, at his desk quite frequently, and they just have him just he's sitting there his desk hunched in over. his garage. Yeah, exactly. This was all done in his garage. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, uh, little little things like that that were in that first episode I really enjoyed, and then uh, yeah, I I fell asleep during the second episode so i need to go back and start that one again mm, but, late uh, night binging but uh yeah like i said i've uh, finished season one of harley quinn i'm halfway through season two man they amped up the <laughs> the, the the comedy and the violence in season two it's like uh, you, you like that first uh first season we're gonna turn it up yeah I mean, it's it's rare that you get that kind of increase in humor I guess the adult nature in that second season, like a lot of times they just like, you know, try to keep the same formula, but they tried to mix it up in season two, which I appreciated. Um, I really hope they do it. They haven't announced it yet. So it makes me think they're probably not going to, uh, but I really hope for a season three. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was exclusive to the, the DC online DC universe service, DC universe. Now that it has moved to HBO Max, it's getting a lot more views, so it could happen. So yeah, it's not it's not exclusive to 
DC Universe. I don't no. know what Warner Brothers is doing right now. They're shaking things up in such weird ways. I don't they don't know what Warner they're doing. Brothers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, knows what they're doing. Uh, I speaking of DC. Also, I did watch some of the uh, uh, DC fandom stuff, but Aha, what? I'll I'll wait because I'm sure you, you I got did, it in the because news. Because I figured you guys somebody would talk about it in this part. Yeah. Because um, oh oh because Steve it, went home because it wasn't really like news things yeah They're like it was we'll it tell was, you more about things you already know about it was yeah it was panels and a lot of times the panels were just screening um trailers and right. stuff um, dropping a trailer that's, that's uh, apparently the, the one to have watched would have been the one with the rock talking about black adam because he was apparently like really really i missed that one but and i've been trying to find it online to see if somebody like has it that it's only available watch. for 24 hours yeah right? Well, I mean, it was it was available live while it was on the the DC Fandom website. So I don't know if somebody recorded it so that I can watch it later. But apparently, he was just so enthusiastic about the character, and you know, he's he's been working the better part of a decade to try to get that movie made, and uh, and now Shazam got made, which was the first step in in his and Warner Brothers' plan to get Black Adam. So it's shazam then you'll have black adam and then apparently there's another shazam movie that's going to come out right after black adam and then there'll be the crossover movie so three more films already planned and i love it and uh I'm yeah happy for that fantastic uh that, yeah that is definitely something i want to see expand i liked the uh the suicide squads uh, the suicide squad stuff uh both the video game which it was all rendered you know, cutscene stuff. So doesn't matter. No actual that was gameplay. the goddamn highlight for me. That was that was really good. I loved James Gunn's Suicide Squad trailer. Oh my god, that movie looks good. I can't wait for that one. It looks very James Gunn. Yeah, I, it it totally does. <laughs> but with I think I want to say with a little bit more edgier seriousness mixed in that you typically don't. I don't want to say you don't normally get with James Gunn, but like. I think in a way to kind of separate itself from what he did with Guardians of the I Galaxy. I think that's necessary. Yeah. But, I mean, he's saying he thinks it's the best movie he's ever done. And that's, <laughs> that's saying so, a lot. I'm there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the Suicide Squad video game was really cool. Oh, my um, God. That, that trailer. Yeah. I watched it three times. I don't watch trailers more than once. Right. It was just so goddamn entertaining. So e- even if they made that into a movie, I'd be happy. Yeah, that'd be fun. But it's in the Rocksteady Arkham universe. Yes, yes. Uh, Rocksteady developed that one. Um, uh, Gotham Knights looks good. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's the same kind of gameplay as you know Arkham Asylum. So Mm-mm. for me, it's stuff I, I, that I enjoy. I think it looks like it is. To, it looks to me like a live service game, and though the ones I've played of those, I have not enjoyed. Live service games to me, uh, examples are Destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the one where everybody's an Iron Man, basically running around the post-apocalypse universe. Uh, that did horribly, by the way. Well, they said you can play it solo or co-op. You, yeah, so you can it's... play these solo and co-op. That's that's why live service is. They're built for co-op, but you can play them solo. Oh, but they're, it is a story that you're playing. So kind, yeah. So were these? Um, there, if you like MMOs and how MMOs are designed, then yeah, that's basically what a live service game is. Sure. So if you like like World of Warcraft, then yeah, this is kind of more your thing. It's a little more action oriented live service games. Right. They tend to be more first person shooter actiony. 
But face it, they're MMOs where you don't have to pay a ongoing monthly fee. Yeah. But where everything you do doesn't feel like it actually has any kind of impact on the world. That that's what I don't like about live service games. A game like uh, the Rocksteady Arkham Universe games, yeah. you're playing a story from beginning to end. Right. You're getting the story, you're having a fun time in between, but you're you feel like you're making an impact of the universe you're playing in. With live service games, games like Destiny or or the that that Tom Clancy game that came out. Oh yeah, I know which one you're talking uh, about. Where you you enter into a area where there's multiple players that you can either do it yourself or join with other ones right. and go on the mission, but that mission ends and it's always available for someone else to do, and you you just don't feel like you have an impact in the world that you're playing in. Yeah, we'll have to see because they were. I don't want to say vague about mm. what it's all about, but they had a very limited amount of time yeah. to talk about it. So I started off really and excited. It's in a, and it's in a pre-alpha right now. Sure. It's, it's not... I mean, it's functional for the people who are testing it and developing it, but it's not even remotely close to being a finished game. I mean, it's it's launches two years from now. So I, I love the trailer. I think the story it seems to want to tell looks interesting to me. Yeah. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's not a live service game. Yeah. And if it isn't, I am there because it looks great otherwise. But man, when I started watching the footage of it, how it was playing out and with the showing where the other characters were, I'm like, this looks eerily familiar and in not in a good way. But again, I hope I'm wrong. Right. Watch, I watched the Batman trailer a okay. couple of times. I'm, I gotta say, I'm not thrilled with the the artistic style of what I've seen. You know, Ari like the city of Gotham, and sure. it's this weird mix of kind of almost steampunky with modern. And it was, I don't know, so it the was art, the art design. Then, yeah, the art design. And that says nothing about the different actors that are going to be in the film because, you know, they might knock it out of the park. But visually, to me, what I saw so far really was not appealing to me. So, And I and apparently a lot of people are saying the opposite, so I'm just... Yeah, like, it was well embraced. Yeah. To me, it so, looks very much like the Nolan-verse. See, I don't think it does. You don't? I don't think it does look Nolan-y. I just, it just, I mean... Nolan, if you turn a few more lights out. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just I didn't I didn't like the design. So, but again, I'll still see it. I you know, I'll withhold any judgment till I've seen it. But uh, whenever that will be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Got the truth. Well, yeah, we got a little more time before we need to start news. Anything else you do, gentlemen? Uh, what the hell did I do? I don't know. I don't know. I pl- uh, played Saturday D and D with the group. Yeah, the online group, and uh, we ended up doing some shopping <laughs> that's not a bad D game yeah going out and, and, and making good on the loot you've earned yeah we actually we we sat there and we were well basically the dm was proposing a sidetrack before our big our big climactic moment in this arc of the campaign which is the battle of the bards and oh, so really yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, actually, Mirabar is going to have a giant battle of the bards uh, contest, <laughs> and our bard will be participating, and uh, the rest of us will be working security. 
Tell me where I could sign up. Yeah. <laughs> I would okay. be glad to be a part of it. My, my brain just went to Battle of the Bards being like a takeoff of the old Battle of the Network stars. <laughs> yeah. just, That's what I'd say. That's going to be great. I'm going to be wonderful in the obstacle course. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, um, but before we do that, we're doing a, uh, a, a run through a, a module and looks like the she, Elena, bought an old uh, 5e update of an old uh, uh, module called the Temple or the Shrine, the something of a Tomoakchen. Oh, that is a classic. Yes. And wow. So, so we're actually going to be going through that. And uh, Kit is... Uh, Kit, Kit is, is biting Jeff. Yes. <laughs> Kit is making it Jeff known that you're my bitch. <laughs> Yeah, never done that to me before. Yeah. No, he's, At least not like that. I mean, he's yeah. he's not on me, but he he went. Oh yeah, full on. He, no, he owns playing. you, Jeff. You're playing. He went Kirsten on me. Yeah, yeah. He actually drew some blood there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, the days when I used to draw some blood on Jeff. And oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to draw on Jeff when he slept with a with my paintbrush and. My own blood. Well, you, just you play your video games with the lights off. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Stay awake? <laughs> That'd be funny, Jeff, just Pentagram, waking up in the morning and, and just sort of slogging into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and being like, ah. But um, yeah. Your image here. So, so we're getting ready to do that. We got the assignment. We talked to the people who are signing it, you know, there in Mirabar. Exciting. And uh, we were like, you know, we should get some stuff. Why don't we get some stuff? Let's go to, and we're like, well, how much, how much money do we even have? And it was, and I was like, <clears throat> discovering that we, you know, we've got thousands of gold pieces each. Well, shit. And yes, exactly. Well, shit. So my, uh, it's a good thing they don't weigh anything. Yeah, my robo, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. my robo barbarian, robo barbarian, uh, metal storm fury nine omega, uh, bought a uh, ion stone of protection, so my AC goes up. But then I talked our paladin killdozer into uh, surrendering the. Uh, he turned over to me the manual of bodily health. Um, because uh, as a half orc, um, his backstory he he can't read, so he can't use the manual to improve his constitution. Was he using it for toilet paper? No, he well, he just had it. Because well, okay. originally it was like, well, this uh, improves constitution and give it to the you know half orc paladin. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> I will treasure this. Why don't you read us the introduction? No, no, no. I'm uh, gonna. Uh, it, it's a personal thing. It's a yeah. personal thing. So, so he turned it over to me. So I did that. So, and then we had a level up. So I boosted my strength. I'm now plus five on strength. I boosted my con. I'm now plus five on con. Damn. And I and then and I'm a barbarian. So Dex and con together make my AC. And then I got that little Ion stone. So now my AC is a 19. So I'm ready to just tear some shit up. So, so much so that uh, actually the guys were really nice uh, doing a, a birthday party for a friend next week. So I couldn't play and they were like, well, we'll take a day. We'll take a day off and we'll, we'll meet together in two weeks. And I was like, yeah, yeah. now we'll go into the, and it's funny. I don't even know if I have Tamil walking, uh, but I've certainly heard of it. Yeah. I've never played it. I've never run it. So, you know, I'm okay. I'm, right. There's no metagaming going in. 
I just know that there's a lot of Aztec names and we're in the jungle. Because we'll be, I think we'll be in Cholt. You're going to die. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's it's cool. But, that uh, is cool. Yeah, I we've been it. having some fun. Elena runs a nice game. She's done. She's opened up a Thursday game for beginners, oh, wow. for people who haven't played uh, 5e, much less, I think, uh, much I think RPGs, maybe D&D before. So there, there, this is it. If you haven't played and you've always wanted to play, you yeah. yeah, look for the Scoop Monkeys uh, D&D Guild on uh, Facebook. Yeah, you have to, you know, ask to be a member. But well, but uh, we got to uh, weed out the riffraff. Yeah, uh, you know, we want you to be serious. They got to separate the wheat from the chaff. Right? Yeah, so it's like Minecraft. We we let anybody in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's been cool. It's been like the one steady thing through that and Monster of the Week. We also did Monster of the Week. Actually, uh, we managed to break Jeff Harris's uh, demon oh. from his contract with uh, oh. his demon lord. So we had. Oh, to that f- couldn't have gone over well. Uh, well, we had to we had to fight the demon lord, and, and it actually it actually went went pretty quick. In fact, we we moved quick on the hell kind of demon lord you're dealing with. It well, yeah, Kevin was uh, he, he 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 was more perverse than anything. Like the assignments he would send uh, Jeff's character out was to go and tap, you know, at the middle of the night, tap on the windows of you know adolescent girls <laughs> and just stare at them, and right. so so it was sort of like. Uh, you know that that just that just isn't Jeff Harris's jam, apparently. <laughs> what you Cre- know, creepy pre- peeping when? Tom is not a is not in his <laughs> wheelhouse. Since when? <laughs> so so um, he started edging away, and just uh, eventually, once Kevin figured out that uh, you know he's not doing the deed, mishaps came to our little Vermont town, uh, and uh, we sort of got his attention. And he came to attack us, and uh, we prepped. We and we prepped well. Uh, at one point, we were surrounded by the whole town, possessed by demons, and we had to. Uh, we needed some uh, iron rebar because demons are vulnerable to iron. So we knew we needed to get some iron to go up against against Kevin. And so Steve's character, <clears throat> who's basically who's who's. Carl McGavin, uh, basically a Carl Kolshak. Uh, he 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 goes running out into the into the yard to grab some rebar and running back in, but unfortunately uh, I was holding the door for him and I muffed uh, controlling the door and the door ended up getting closed. So he's out there with all the possessed demon people. As one, that'll, that'll happen. As you one know. is is want yeah. to do occasionally. Yeah. You know, I'd say you can't script that sort of thing, but actually you can. So, and then Kevin shows up, blows in the front door, and he goes to confront him with his. I enchanted his shotgun, and he had loaded it with rock salt because salt ah. is another vulnerability for demons. And Andy muffs his attack, and Kevin smacks him clear across the. Uh, the uh, the room and he slams up against the wall and uh, I try to do my 
my attack. I think I I think I actually got a, a shot off, but it wasn't didn't put Kevin down. Yet this supposedly would quick. Yeah, well, <laughs> because then Uncle Carl, Carl McGavin is uh, my character's Mojo's uh, uh, uncle. He comes up behind him and smacks him with the uh, rebar, but. Uh, he doesn't score high enough to actually just like just hit him without any consequences. So Kevin smacks him. I think I got smacked too. Everyone's getting and, smacked, uh, Jeff. Well, yeah, because that's how it works. That's how it works in Monster of the Week. You roll. The player rolls. If you roll high enough, you attack. No consequences. Well, sometimes you just have to smack your bitch up. There you go, man. And he he and he waited. He waited, folks, to do that one. But if you score in the mid range, if you score in the mid range, you you successfully attack, but you get consequences. So we were all rolling in the mid range, except for Andy, who really muffed it and got. I think he got hurled across the room twice, actually. So then uh, he hurled or hurled. And, and Andy's a bouncy guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Pro- he's, probably a little of both. He's right? the he's the uh, knowing Andy. He's the kite man of uh, well, just just about everything. Did he land actually. on his feet when he was done though? No, he hit the wall, oh. smacked his head, and sank to the floor. Oh, so, so, so then not like Andy. Jeff's character, Jeff's character has a bit of a crush on Uncle Carl. Oh, so Jeff stands up. His character, you know, stands up and is like, "Okay, you can knock around Andy's character. That's fine." You can smack Kirsten's character. That gets me a little irritated. But you can't touch Carl McGavin. So Jeff is the Cordelia of your group. Kind of, sort of. And then Jeff rolled very well and essentially bit Kevin's head right off. Okay, not Cordelia. That's no. I'm <laughs> more, more, more King Shark. <laughs> so, and that's how we ended Kevin. And, uh, you know... Brought some sanity back to our little uh, bucolic... Uh, Sunnyvale. Uh, God, you know what? I have forgotten the damn name. Sunnyvale. Of, uh, Sounds like Sunnyvale. Yeah. Well, the Ver- Vermont version of Sunnyvale. Oh, okay. Yeah. Overcastvale. Yeah. Wildwood. I think we're Wildwood, oh, okay. Vermont. I like it. We're something wood. Wildwood. Our wood is wild. Oh, boy, is something, it? Something, yeah. something, something wood. <laughs> <laughs> I blank on a lot of names now. Sorry, Jolly Blackburn. Uh, the nominations have gone up for the Geek Shock Book Club, so I'll be putting up a poll here when I edit the show together. So by the time you hear this, uh, the poll will be there for your votes. All right. Uh, before we go into a bit of news, let's go to a bit of email. ruh uh, This one's been sitting in the box for, for a couple weeks. I'm finally getting around to it. Uh, greetings, fuckers. Uh, who's this from? I don't know. I, don't I have know. no idea. Hmm. Congrats on earning your seed money. Don't spend it all in one place. I do hereby declare my nomination to be the chairman of the board, that's B-O-R-E-D, not a typo, of GeekShock LLC. So what's my first official act as chairman? That's right. Start my own podcast. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, What's it going to be about? No idea. But I figure... uh, (laughs) that's that's always how you want to approach a podcast (laughs) is just go in you know no clue willy-nilly but but i figure out some uh, figured something uh once my board and microphones come in which won't be till october now i pose the question uh, what tips do you have for a new podcaster 
why headphones? I mean, do you sit around a table? <laughs> yeah, let me talk about why headphones, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got a class for you. <laughs> Is the board easy to handle? Fees? Editing? What about voice prep? How do you pick topics? Any suggestions? What I should do for my podcast? Dude, that's the first question you need answered. There yeah. you go. Uh, I'll accept serious and BS ones. You're going to get them all. Yeah. Uh, especially, what should I call it? Oh, wow, dude. Um, do you want us to design your podcast? Is that what yeah, I'm really? Uh, keep up the good work so I can do some good work and have <laughs> and have some more on Write Me Weird Narratives. Your chairman, Jake. P.S. Before you ask, yes, Jake and Matt's infinite hate machine is always possible. There you uh, go. But that depends on how how that soon-to-be Ludmilla Sunrise gurgling Matt will take it. Yeesh. <laughs> uh, first off, I want to shout out to Jake for running Geek Shock Movies on the uh, Shock Monkeys Facebook page. Every finally, week. Yeah. finally saw Return of the Living Dead this that, week. Isn't that a goddamn gem? I love that movie. It's it's, it's nice. every Thursday something happens where I can't join, and I'm getting so goddamn frustrated. And it's really funny too because he actually couldn't get it rolling for one week, two weeks. Yeah. And so, and you're still, you're still missing out. What's, what's your problem? Dude, life, fucking life. Um, you need to set aside your Thursdays, bub. Uh, I can't set aside shit. Um, I logged on expecting to watch Beastmaster and it was Return of the Living Dead. I did too. I was like, just like, this oh. isn't Beastmaster. Uh, so let's, let's, let's back up on some yeah, of these questions. Let's, let's start um, with the bullet points here. Uh, I, actually, just right off for the name, I, I, I actually chairman of the board b-r-e-d yeah yeah that's not a bad that's yeah, not yeah. a bad he's, title. he's i personally think he's already there yeah yeah because the important thing is you do want to pick a name that's unique it's going to separate you from the others and you want something that doesn't sound even remotely like something else that's already out there and jake is already giving himself away by what should my podcast <laughs> be about right so sure. why are you doing this jake well Jake, it actually sounds like you're doing it because you're kind of bored <laughs> and you're looking for something to do. So look towards, looks towards, uh, why are you podcasting? Well, you're podcasting to do something and to get out there and do something. And I think that actually can be something of its of its own you know i'm Certainly. doing this to give myself something to do right and we've all met you jake we know you have something to say <laughs> so, yeah uh, but, <laughs> definitely but for example geek shock started because uh we wanted some filler stuff in between ugly couch show episodes back when yeah. we were doing the video show ugly couch show was about one thing positivity only bring things you like never bring things you don't like we're, right. If you're doing a review, only bring things you want to talk good things about. That yeah. was what Ugly Couch Show was. But we had opinions about other things. Right. And so we started doing what then was called the Couch Cast. And, the, er, and then we later named it the Geek Shock because we found out there's about 50 other things out there called Couch Casts. So we, yeah. we want to do something. And again, to the name, uh, we were trying to think of a name that was both ours but told you what the show was yeah. succinctly and so geek obviously shock because frankly we had fucking paul yeah so 
So, and, and so Paul is the closest thing we yeah, had to a shock jock you, at the we, time. <laughs> the show was chaos, but we adapted the structure over time. If you listen to the early episodes, it's yeah. just us talking stuff. Yeah. It, the old old episodes is Barry opens his computer and finds things on the internet for us to talk about during the show. Right. It was only later on that we structured it into the Weekend Geek News Don't Give a Shit About and all that kind of stuff. It 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 morphed over time. Right. Ah. Uh, but yeah, definitely have a clear idea of what you want to do as far as your your theme, you know, whether you're you're doing reviews or you're you're talking about, you know, one of the ones I like, I should say the ones that I like are when they go back and examine classic movies or classic TV shows and sure. then they talk about it. And a big thing you want away is you might have heard the term evergreen content. Yeah. Our show is by design not evergreen content. Every week we are talking of news that came out that week, and that becomes old news very fast. Yeah. So every week it's new stuff. And so you can go back and be entertained and look at the history of geek news over the last 10 years. Right. And still enjoy yourself. Uh, but it's the new episode that's going to tell you about new things. Uh, evergreen content and stuff like Jeff talked about, yeah. where you're discussing an old movie, that movie isn't going away, that discussion about that movie is never going away, that exists, that episode uh, will be downloaded many yeah, times you, just for its subject matter. You don't have a clock on it, you can go listen to it anytime, whereas like ours, you kind of want to listen to it within a week or two of when it when it gets published, because if you don't... You then... won't get the jokes two weeks later. Well, the jokes oh, wait, they'll wait, get, wait, but yeah. the content will be old and stale by the time you hear it. Uh, do you sit around a table? Uh, yes, just so I could keep an eye out for these fuckers. That's the only reason, though. Pretty much. Is the board e- easy to handle? Uh, this one, not so much. This is this behemoth in front of me is meant to record up to uh, like 64 tracks of musicians. Yeah. So that, that's what this board, we repurposed it for podcasting. Uh, But there are boards out there that are easy to deal with. Uh, What I would say for editing, though, get to know if you use PCs, uh, get to know Audacity. Otherwise, if you're using Apple products, get to know GarageBand. Either one, free, and make great editing of podcasts. And uh, there are boards out there for anybody that's interested that are specifically designed for podcasting. Many of them tie directly into your PC, so you're recording into a laptop or you're recording into a desktop and it has a lot of controls that you can kind of preset so because like one of the things todd has to frequently tackle is you know the highs and the lows of our our podcast let's talk about why headphones for a second (laughs) (laughs) why headphones he asks i would like to direct your attention to episode 551 the one (laughs) Just before this one, when you listen to that episode, and if you have, you probably already recognize this, there are moments where you hear screaming and where I have had to, I had to get into the waveform and physically reduce the waveform down in the program so it wouldn't blow out your eardrums. Yep. That's why you wear headphones. Steve wasn't. If you can hear yourself, you're much more able to control how you sound yes and you can well, also hear your mic positioning because if unless you have a um like todd has a, a professional recording mic that's literally designed for vocal recording and those are attached typically in a you know studio setting where the actor would have to or the whoever's doing the recording would have to approach the mic talk directly into it whereas with the handheld mics people's hands tend to wander 
So they'll be talking, and then they'll Steve. move the, the mic away like this, and then they'll move it back in front of the face, and then off to the side. Steve's so. mic awareness—it's really funny because he—he uh, actually he'll—he'll—he talks right into the mic, and then he'll just be like talking as he gets away from the mic. And he's not the only one that does it, but he's the one that does it the most frequently. And that shots and, fired. That and uh, <laughs> and of course, somewhere Biggs is like, performing <laughs> voice." Uh, Be aware of your performing voice as you perform. I'm going to have to bring that waveform. Oh, really? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, See, there's an example right there, people. That's where you saw me having to bring a waveform down. Well, you know what, Todd? There's your problem. you got to stop working with people who are actors and stage trained. Fucking professionals. I hate them all. Yeah, really. (laughs) Nothing screws something up like a professional. Uh, You mentioned fees. Uh, There are a lot of places out there. Not a lot, but there's... uh, a few that you can choose from that will host your podcast for free. Uh, when we started with Podbean, we were doing it for free for years. Uh, we started doing a paid version because we were more prolific than the free version would allow. Yeah. The free version will allow you like two per month, and of course we recorded four per month, and so that got to be itchy. Uh, but I think we pay like $300 a year for hosting on Podbean. You also want to be really, really careful with the free hosters because... Some of them want you to sign away some of the ownership of your podcast. So, yeah, always read their terms and conditions thoroughly. Should be doing I know that a lot anyway, of times, kids. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people just scroll through and and click "I agree." But if you're if you're putting out content that is original and means something to you, don't just click that because you don't know what you're giving up until you read all of that stuff. So. Be very careful. Um, there are sites out there, too, that will tell you which the best hosting platforms are for what you want to do with it. So there's a few websites that, that basically tell you how to start your own podcast. And I think the last one that we haven't really talked about is how you pick your topics. How does that work? Well, uh, the night before, I take about three to four hours and read all the news that happened that week on multiple sites. And then I compress the ones that seem to work best for our show to talk about because lots of news happens every week. Most of it isn't worth discussing. Right. Uh, but the ones that I think seem the juiciest and might be the most interesting to you is the ones that I put onto my notes that I get to do about uh, a third of uh, each podcast before I have realized I worked way too hard. What he's not telling you about is you have to really know the people that you work with because you want to know <laughs> what stories are going to be triggers for them. Yes. <laughs> yes. What's what's going to dis- you know cause a fervent dis- discussion of the topic? You'll notice in the earlier episodes, anytime there was something that was horrible about He-Man and Master of the Universe, always made the show. Every single time, because I wanted to hear Paul get mad. Mm. Paul was our Howard Stern. And, you know, occasionally, occasionally Paul would get mad. Yes. You know, occasionally. He had, he had a, you know, once in a while. Every once in a while. Just, you know, per episode. a little something would come up and... Shut your ignorant mouth. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope that answers some of your questions, Jake. And uh, for any of those out there that's like, hey, I've thought about podcasting. Maybe you had some of these questions, too. So I thought bringing it to the show. Was, uh... Oh, and we forgot regularity is key, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Make sure you drink and eat fiber. Mm-hmm. Frequency of your posting. Because if you establish early that you're a monthly, a weekly, 
etc. podcast, you need to keep on a schedule because if you don't, you will lose listenership. Yeah, very quickly. Fine point. That's an excellent point. Depending on what kind of subject you're going on, you may want to have a couple in the can before you start dropping bank shows. So you can have, uh, yeah. So you can keep dropping weekly, whether you do it or not. And if you're doing weekly, if you're working with people, you know, be willing to work around schedules because if you have people that can't be there regularly, you know, maybe it's best to just do it on your own. Because yeah. it's it's not always we we've had a chance we've been very lucky I should say for the last ten years that we've always been able to make adjustments to each of our schedules to accommodate yeah you know yeah times that people can record oh my days God. people can record I remember when I was working at Con you guys were willing to start uh, recording at like ten thirty or eleven o'clock sure so I'm glad those days are over and my schedule changed so yeah, I'm glad we you have job either okay <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we had to go from recording on tuesdays to mondays you know to help accommodate one of my days off so you know that was fortunate that we were able to do that um as long as you are consistent I mean, you can fudge a little bit with the daytime but you know try to make it make a choice of when it's going to happen and stick to it yeah 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 and you know the infinite hate machine. If it bleeds, it leads. And That's true. you know, so you know, you and Matt can probably get a lot of mileage out of your bilious, true, toxic hatred. Hearing people bitch is entertaining. There you go. Just look at YouTube. Well, sometimes it is. It gets. <laughs> I gotta admit, it gets a little grating. I'm. I'm. With all the shit that's going on in this world, I can't watch those anymore. I just can't listen to people endlessly bitch about this, that, and the other thing when there's so much other and you know stuff what else to actually I hate? be upset about in the world. It's like I try to keep some positivity in my life, so I can't watch those oh. those things anymore. I, I need, get it. I man. need I need to have some hope because there's not a lot out there right now. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. Wow, <laughs> man! And th- there's Jeff's message for you: get political. <laughs> That but, wasn't political. I mean, yeah, you could apply some of what I said politically, but I'm just talking about some. life in general right now. So you can call it Jake and Matt's Infinite Hope Machine. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be awesome. Yeah. Both of them trying to be positive when, they're, yes. when, when their core belief structure wants them to go negative on everything. The subtitle, Two Functional Adults and How They Deal with Mental Illness. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I, um, in terms of like a catharsis for my own uh, like anxiety and depression, this has been very good. There have been times when, uh, when I've not wanted to do it, and I've done it anyway, and that's actually been good. And also talking about it, just talking about Going through the treatment of my anxiety uh, in the last couple years has been has been um, well. And you also um, joined the show at a really tough part in your life at, too, right? Jeez, oh, I mean, was, I don't know was, how much you want to say about that. No, but no. Well, I know we've, talked, was, we've, talked, we've about talked about it before. I don't know if it was. I think it was a partly by design. But Todd basically invited me on as a regular the 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 week my dad passed. It was just right when that happened. Um, I was uh, using this organization called Helping Hands, which would have visiting angels, and these are people who would come and care, be a caregiver for 
you know, four, six, eight hours to give home caregivers um, a bit of a break. And so I was doing, was making appearances and stuff with the podcast as well as doing other things, utilizing those volunteers. And then the, uh, the first show that I appeared as a regular was when my dad, uh, it was the night before I had to make the decision to put him into hospice. It was just, it, you know, and having, it was really funny because part of me was like, should I be doing this? Should I actually be doing this right now? But part of me was also like, you need, you need a little something to step away. And, uh, and, and it does, it does actually help. Yeah. I so. mean, it, it gave me something to look forward to every week because between 2012 and 2017, um, well, I mean, she passed away in 2018, but my mom rapidly declined with Alzheimer's. So having to deal with the things that you have to deal with as an adult, trying to figure out how to take care of your adult parent when the other parent is so stressed to the point that they are starting to no longer be able to deal with it, it helped me be a kind of a weekly distraction from and I, and I can't even imagine that Jeff that's five years my yeah. dad was five months yeah and I was ragged at the end there I just can't imagine years of it it's a, yeah you and know, it's yeah and it wasn't like yeah it wasn't like a everyday thing but it was something I was having to to deal with either over on the phone or through emails several times a week and literally for well i mean once we got her situated it was not as bad but you know still have to think about you know yeah. what happens if when and so forth right. so so yeah for for those specific 5 years it was it was a way for me to escape you know and and do something that actually genuinely genuinely made me happy and made me laugh so that's something to consider too. And then there was the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so there's your true answer, folks. Uh, if you want to podcast, uh, tragedy. Yeah, you go. Tragedy first, podcast second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's your podcast title. Make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Wah, wah. Well, thank you for writing in, Jake. Bum, I hope bum, we've bum, helped bum. you. Or anyone else out there that's been considering something weird like this. Yes, talk about your problems on radio. Yes, someone will listen. There you go. Maybe not many, but some. Yeah. News you don't give a shit about. Uh, I've, I've been kind of avoiding this oh. a little bit just uh, because. So you don't give a shit, huh? It's 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 technical and it's businessy, and Ooh. so I don't like to talk about those kind of things, but it's kind Fuck. of becoming a problem. Uh, the legal feud between Apple and Epic Games has escalated since first erupting late last week. Ep Epic is alleging Apple has gone beyond pulling the Fortnite app from its app store. Oh, yeah. And is now also threatening to remove Epic's access to developer tools for iOS and Mac platforms unless an ongoing dispute over the app store's 30% take of in-game Fortnite fees can end before August 28th. They pulled it off of Google, too, if I remember correctly. Yes, but not to this extent. Right. This 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 is the next part that I'm like, okay, now this we have to talk about it. 
Uh, Jim Sterling did a great take on this, on his Jimquisition. It's a move that Epic says could potentially have far-reaching consequences for players. Epic's Unreal Engine development tool is widely used by everyone from game makers to blockbuster productions like The Mandalorian at Disney+. Plus. Yeah. yeah. And losing Apple support for Unreal Engine could mean an abrupt halt to new mobile games, including those developed for the Apple Arcade service itself. That relies on Unreal to create new content. If you're not familiar, Unreal Engine is the game engine that most games are built on these yeah. days. It's like Unity and Unreal, and there's some other in-house development, but right. But Unreal those are the two is, primary. Yeah. yeah, Unreal is the leads the market by far. Yes. Wait a minute. Can you can you do a technical backup for <clears throat> ignorant folk such as I? You said Epic's Unreal Engine, mm-hmm. but it needs the Apple support. What is that? What is so that? So it's 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 a platform. I should say it's a developmental platform that Epic designs, but it still requires certain software considerations for the various operating systems. So if you're on a Mac, you want, you know, whatever their current version of their desktop OS is. Right. If you're playing it on a tablet, it needs to have iOS support. If you're playing it on an Android phone, it needs to have Android support. If you're playing it on a Windows PC, it needs to have access to certain... Um, so if software on all of these, it, it needs certain software support level integration into okay. the different platforms that but you're playing let, it let on. Let me break it down even further to, right. to what this actually is. Uh, Fortnite, one of the most popular games that yes. exists. Yes. Um, anything that you sell on Apple as a game designer, uh, whether it is the game itself or in-game items, in-game yes. currency, Apple takes a 30% cut. Right, and you can only go through their platform with, yes. as far as like in-game sales, etc. No choice. Well, Fortnite said, "You know what? This is gouging our customers. Uh, how about customers? You go through our game itself instead of through Apple, and through the game, uh, it's basically only going to be twelve percent to us. So it's going to be a massive discount to the customer, and we take a a, a small cut of that on the Apple." Platform on the Apple platform. Yeah. Okay. So Apple said, "Nope, you're not allowed to do that. We get our thirty percent right on okay. everything." Okay. And so Epic said, "No." So Apple said, "Buy Fortnite." All right. So bye, bye, bye. Just, just, just so to technically resolve this, we're talking about this impacting Fortnite on Apple stuff. Yes, but okay. But, Epic yeah. also creates the Unreal Engine. Yeah, and so now Apple is threatening if you don't get this resolved, this is where by the end of this month, then your developer tools are no longer going to work on Apple as well, which so, is the Unreal Engine. So any oh, so anything using Unreal yeah. would get fucked on Apple, potentially. Yeah, anything newer, basically. From okay. This point on. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's the technical twist yeah. I needed. For new content. Okay. Quote, the cascading effect of losing ongoing Unreal Engine compatibility will threaten the viability of the engine and disrupt development of a constellation of apps and uses that rely on its graphics to render hundreds of video games, the human brain, Baby Yoda, and space flight, unquote, Epic wrote in a court filing. And that's what Unreal is used for, all of that. In an antitrust lawsuit filed last week, 
Epic is asking Apple to allow Fortnite back into the App Store, including full accommodation for Epic's recently introduced in-game payment method that had served as a workaround for bypassing Apple's 30% take. The company also asked the court this week to temporarily halt Apple's new alleged restriction on iOS developer tools until the lawsuit can be resolved. And again, as Jeff mentioned, uh, Google has also pulled Fortnite from its Google Play Store for the same reasons, although Unreal Engine remains free to access for developers of that. So that's that's the difference between the two. There's a... There's a much deeper dive into this that you go if you yes. want to. That's why um, I don't want to touch it last week because yeah. I'm like, I don't want this to be the show. Essentially what it boils down to is nobody in this whole situation is in the right. Literally. Apple is, in the eyes of many experts, taking too much of a cut from its developers. But then again, Epic is a large company. They can afford to take that cut. It's your smaller developers that are typically, you know, essentially pushed to to the brink of bankruptcy by Apple's policies. But Epic is also not in the right in this because they sign an agreement and they're trying to skirt that. And I mean, it, like I said, it goes on and on. It's, the, it's, the Jimquisition episode I mentioned, he goes real deep dive into it and explains it in such a way that pretty much any layman can understand it and and really emphasizes what I just said about it. Nobody's in the right here. Yeah. What what comes what what it basically breaks down to is billionaires fighting against billionaire and working people are going to get stiff because yeah right. exactly the, the yeah we're at the beginning of the ones that suffer not yeah. not any of these companies yeah because I mean initially sounding it it's like well Apple's platform. You you agree to that? You work on Apple's platform, but the Unreal Engine aspect of it sounds a bit like dirty pool. On the other hand, <clears throat> so yeah, as Epic makes a shit ton of money because of Fortnite, but their real bread and butter is that yeah. Epic Unreal Engine. Yeah, and that you know, I mean, I I I knew I knew a little bit about Unreal being used by so many. But it was the Mandalorian behind-the-scenes yep. stuff yep. that really brought home. With their virtual studio. That's, yes. Yeah. That really brought home how big Unreal actually is. I mean, think about all the times you pop a game into your console or onto your PC. And even if it's brief, you'll see that Unreal logo pop up. Yeah. Every one of those games pays licensing fees to Epic right. to use that. That's where they make the majority of their money. Mm-hmm. All right. And even if you don't, like, you know, with the Mandalorian stuff, you know, they still have to pay licensing fees to Epic to use that. And it's so fully sure. integrated into their virtual studio. It's amazing. That you, and, and for the actual special effects that they're doing, they can't just drop that. I mean, they would literally have to start over from scratch yeah. with something else, like an right. in-house designed engine or so forth. But, or yeah. Unity. Yeah. Which is a free engine when it comes down to it, uh, but it certainly doesn't have the power that no. Unreal does. News you don't give a shit about. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel has lost its directors one week into production. Uh, that's one a week. shame. Directors Andy and Ryan Toehill. I'm not, I'm not sure if you meant that, Jeff, or that was facetious. I can't really tell. It sounds like I think part I caught, two. I caught a whiff of facetious there. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I literally mm. don't care. See, I do, I do right on these categories. <laughs> Actors, uh, directors Andy and Ryan Tohill have left the film during their shoot in Bulgaria over, quote, creative differences. Bulgaria. Right, that's, that's, you can't shoot in America. We're, we're tainted. Uh, David Blue Garcia, uh, who 
director Tejano will be taking over the film for Legendary and heading to Bulgaria to reshoot everything from scratch. Oh, Jesus. As wow. week's, week one's efforts went against the studio's desires. Well, at least it was only one week of shooting. Yeah, it could have been uh, much, much worse. Yeah, I've heard Who of knows? productions that are two, two, three weeks, sometimes more than a month into shooting and have to start over from scratch. I wonder what they were doing. What choices were where they I know. were going? <laughs> the the imagination runs wild. Yeah. Uh, all I know is, like Jeff, really, when it comes down to it, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure. That that first one has its place in history for, yes. for being the nasty little thing that it is. Yes. Every other one can go fuck itself. Yeah. Even, even part two <laughs> with its satirical aspect isn't very good. Um, so, yeah, if, if we never see another Texas Chainsaw film again, fine i have no issue <sighs> yeah I mean, it's just one of those things that just it keeps popping up every couple of years and i'm not even gonna call it diminishing returns they're just all garbage yeah just all of them well it goes it it, it the original was was a twisted yeah a twisted vision and it I, was different than anything else when it, it came out twisted and took the other stuff that came out yes. to the next level yes so when you're trying to take that to the next level you pretty much run into the danger of self-parody which right i mean i haven't watched them which like but i've they... heard that's sort of where it's gone almost. yeah it's the first one it's it's filmed as if i'd almost call it documentary style yeah. Yeah, where, where the very setup close. of shots are very static and boring and that's what makes it so visceral in that moment mm -hmm. uh, but the rest of them are filmed like movies and it just doesn't work when yeah, you film it like makes that it, it also reminds me uh, I, I noticed oh shit was it on Prime or was it on YouTube it might have been on YouTube for free uh, kind of the genesis of all that which is really funny because there's there's no uh over the top element is the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which purportedly was about the Texarkana murder, which was a dude in a hood going around killing people, and it was an actual real thing that happened. Um, and then they did this movie, which I remember seeing. I saw it a bunch of times on HBO because my mom loved that sort of thing, and that movie scared the bejesus out of me because it mm. was like, this this really happened. And, uh, and it had that quasi documentary style kind of kind of did a almost like a news thing like so and so and such and such oh. got together on so it had a narrator kind of sorta on lovers lane and blah 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 you know something like that and it it's it's definitely you definitely should see it because especially if you're a horror fan cuz i don't know that this was a, expressly a horror movie but it actually lays the foundation for the whole masked maniac i don't think there's anything before it hmm. i think town that dreaded sundown really really I, got that rolling i only know it by name and reputation i have never seen it you 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 should see it uh, at least from a historical perspective don wells is in it okay. you know so but um it uh yeah yeah very twisted News you don't give a shit about, AT&T yes. is looking to sell Crunchyroll. 
oh, the yeah. popular anime streaming oh, service. Really? Uh, Variety is reporting that while Sony shot down the offer of buying the service for $1.5 billion, the service is being pitched to other companies with a minimum price of $1 billion. AT&T's motivation for this is to reduce its debt, uh, which at the end of June was around $153.4 billion. <laughs> Uh, two weeks ago, Crunchyroll reported having over 3 million paying subscribers. So that's other than the sure get. So they sell that. They they knock their debt down 0.75%. <laughs> what? I can't. I mean, I don't know how AT&T continues to keep buying things and keep continues to keep buying things that have loads of debt, but still they have billions of dollars in the bank. Like literally billions of dollars. That's just how capitalism works there. now, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, really. It's it's all that. Uh, it's like we got to reduce our debt load. I'm like, you don't really technically have debt, but the way they structure everything. It, yeah. yeah. I think they buy things in bulk, and what they don't know what to do with, they get rid of. Yeah. They don't know what to do with DC Comics. They don't know what to do with Crunchyroll. This isn't. This isn't. You can't put Real Housewives on this shit. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what the people want to see. It's so funny because, you know, that kind of reflects on our experience. It's Star Trek The Experience. Yes, it does. Where Cedar Fair, you know, bought us as part of a package. And uh, they, they were wanting the King's Island and the, the, the yes. all of King's those. Domain. King's Domain. and all that stuff. And, and us, they were like, oh. Well, they didn't want you know? a, They didn't want a place that they had to run year-round because you have to pay full-time salaries they loved yeah. having their seasonal workers because you know hire them for a season at minimum wage no benefits and then after three months you let them go yeah they can apply again next season it's, so oh man it, we yeah. we were a continued operating expense that they were not used to right one of the many reasons that we on a we side note closed down Do there seem to be a lot of planes passing over my house today? Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of planes. That's my fault. It's the the lights that I put out front. hope that's okay. Oh, dear. (laughs) Goodness gracious. If only they dropped their supplies. It's just really weird. It's over there by the baggage quarter. Well, I mean, you know, because I'm in a a flight path, but with uh, COVID in particular, I mean, flight reductions, there's... I just haven't been aware of it lately, and now I... It'd just be the wind direction, because they... Maybe. If it's blowing uh-huh. from the northwest, they bring them in a little further south, because you're oh, essentially well. flying into the wind towards yeah. the airport. And my house is, folks. It yes. is right underneath one of the flight paths. It, yep. it, it's right underneath. You literally could sit in my backyard, look straight up, and you'll see the undersides of planes. You know, as it's, they come in. it's not as dramatic as it used to be, but like about 20 years ago, you could watch. It was just, especially at dusk and at night, you would just see endless rows of yeah. landing lights yeah. coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe 30 seconds apart. Yeah. It was crazy. It was. And uh, a lot of that, poof, with COVID. In fact, your parents used to like to sit on their patio and watch the planes yeah, they're flying to the like airport. Sometimes it's a news story that's, I don't know if it's a good, is it bad? Oh. So that's just takes it to one place, and that's the Purgatorio. All right. The Purgatorio. <laughs> the Purgatorio. I insist on the the. <laughs> Exorcist is getting a remake. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from the production company eyeing a 2021 theatrical release, there's no f- further details than this. Uh, the original t- film, of course, tells the story of a young girl who becomes possessed by a demon and two priests give their life to save her. After the original film, there's two direct sequels, uh, Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Let's, less talked about that, the better. Yeah. Uh, the surprisingly good Exorcist 3, which barely had anything to do with the first. And uh, Morgan Creek, of course, released two prequels, the infamous Exorcist, The Beginning, which was then remade. That's the remade version of the original one. Uh, oh, that story's great. And, of course, Paul Schrader's uh, Dominion. Uh, Dominion. Uh, the prequel to The Exorcist in 2005, and, of course, in 2016, Fox aired a TV series, The Exorcist, that ran for two seasons. Jesus, there so, was a lot. Did they, they really? They, yeah, they, yeah, there was. Yeah. I yeah. didn't. I have no memory of this. I knew that. I didn't hear much about it, so I don't know if it was good or not, yeah. frankly. No. Hmm. No idea. Uh, but it's Exorcist is getting remake? Okay. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean... I think it's another one of those. It's a landmark. The original was a landmark film, mm. and it's where do you go from there? You know, if the story has been told. If you want to modernize it, maybe. That, see, that's the problem. I think with The Exorcist is they tried to make a mythos where none was needed. Yeah, they tried to flesh out the surrounding story, and yeah. no one cared. And that would actually that was part of the horror of The Exorcist. Was it was this weird thing that came out of nowhere and victimized this little girl for no apparent fucking reason? I she mean, played with a Ouija board, dude. Yeah, Until well, she, well, that well, I yeah. mean that, but yeah, like Captain Ray, Howdy got yeah, shit. Captain Howdy, but Reagan had no connection whatsoever to Marin. You know, much less uh, Father. Uh, Father, may I? <laughs> wow. To, uh, if Dim- this breaks into devil with a blue dress, I'm out. <laughs> Dimitri, uh, but it it it's really it's it's actually, uh, you know that that was that was part, and that's also classically '70s, right? Because '70s yeah. was all about that chaotic. Yeah. This came from fucking nowhere. Yeah. Horror. Yeah. Sure, and the, and the book it's based on is was written basically to scare you into being Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Right. <laughs> and and uh, but you know once you build a mythos around it and try and put connections and what have you, it's just sort of like eh. yeah, that's you know especially when they're not good. That's 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 basically it's it's funny because so much of the shit is just relevant now. It's like the conspiracy theory thing, right? You you believe in conspiracy theories because well hey the world's not chaotic there's this <laughs> awful organized yes. plan everything out is there. organized yes. everything because mm-hmm. to think many... otherwise will Cthulhu your brain exactly and and which is really funny because then you fall into the Lovecraft versus Kirby thing right right Lovecraft found an incomprehensible universe terrifying Kirby thought an incomprehensible universe was pretty fucking cool. I, I Come still, on, folks! I still love that. So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of the conspiracy stuff. It's just it's people don't truly understand the whole Occam's Razor. Premise. Sure, it's it's you know sometimes the easy you know the simplest solution is the right one, mm-hmm. and people want to overcomplicate things, and that's why we yeah. get conspiracy theories. Usually, the simplest solution is the right one because nature abhors you know a, a 
any more complexity than you need. As soon yeah. as you add unnecessary steps, there's more tendency to break down. So the yeah. simplest answer will usually work because that's the process that can survive to the point of you going, what the fuck is this mm-hmm. process? Yeah. yeah. You lay out this whole thing about who is in charge when the reality is nobody <laughs> is in charge. Exactly. <laughs> that's the simplest solution. Who did this? Nobody. Why, why did this happen? No reason. <laughs> no asshole in an alleyway in a trench coat <laughs> yeah. with a hat down over his face. Smoking, smoking a, cigarette a cigarette in a corner. Yep. You know, that it's, 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 that's the simplest solution, folks. <laughs> Yikes. Originally, this wasn't news you don't give a shit about. Uh, but the more I thought about it, I'm like, if you're going to do another exorcist, really doing the exorcist is your only choice because... No more yeah. fucking sequels, please. No, no more expanding. Oh what, what well, people that, don't want expanded. Yeah, yeah, right. Because we all know they're just going to do a standalone movie and leave it alone. Of course, they they will yeah. they will open it up and create the Exorcist universe. Sure. Yeah. Well, attempt to. They'll sign all the actors. Uh, now, to a three the fact that I don't deal. see Blumhouse's name in, in this anywhere makes me also go, yeah. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Oh, uh, you know, it'd be great if Blumhouse actually did a did, did not the Exorcist, but. Pazuzu, and just you, <laughs> just just go back to the first. You know, the first movie is biblical times. Sure, and Pazuzu—that's that's that's an actual ancient demon. So it's not yeah. like you can copyright that shit. So you know, nope. and you just go all the way back to there, and then you just trace over the over the millennia coming up to you know poor little Reagan getting a. I'm amazed I remember her name, but I do. Uh, well, it's kind of hard to forget. I guess, yeah. you know, especially after 1980. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it uh, it just, you know, that that could be kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, and Ouija boards. You know, yes, they, yes. They, they need a marketing push. They do. They do. Next in the Purgatorio, Wendy Dio announced the Holy Diver comic from Z2 Comics. <laughs> With horror comic scribe Steve Niles. Wow. Right? Quote, Interesting. <laughs> what I want to try, this is the quote, what I, I love just how committal this is. What I want to try to do is create the background story for the album cover. So we get the whole story of how that image came to be, Niles said. Mm. I'm just in the planning stages right now, but the cover is my main inspiration. The cover and the song, unquote. Oh, I was going to say, please tell me it's not based (laughs) on the music video. (laughs) Uh, When pressed on the story, Niles was clear that even a hint would give it away, like he even knows what he's going to write. Artist Scott uh, Hampton is illustrating while Mm. legendary Bill... Sinkowitz is handling the covers. Holy right? shit. There's names in this. And Holy Diver the comic is expecting next summer. That is, that is. Well, sure, whatever. You know what? <laughs> Go for it. Hey, they, some, some authors say, give that a try. Get what, what's your final image and write the story leading up to it. Aside from Iron Maiden, Holy Diver from Dio is the most evocative album cover ever made. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, yeah. like, the way that they're describing this is, like, you know, they took the picture and they're like, oh, what's the backstory on this? And that's kind of how they used to do the old, uh, you know, fantasy and sci-fi stories in the in the, uh, in the the trade magazines mm. back in, like, the you know, the 40s and the 50s. They're mm. like, okay, here's a picture and use that as your inspiration and go. Right, So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, 
Maybe sure. we're returning to that. It's in good hands? Yeah, it is. Uh, this this was announced this last week. Sci-Fi, the, the freaking channel, has been doing a metal thing like on Mondays. Okay. Like a metal, metal Mondays? F- yeah, where they interview like metal bands and then like their science fiction and fantasy counterparts Just in their programming. Just metal Monday. Sure. Whoa. Well, more like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like that, Jeff. <laughs> Sounds like something. <laughs> On I'm trying not to. Trying not to. You know, you're doing blow it out perfect. The wave okay, you are perfect right now. Okay, S- stay that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's next in the Purgatorio? <laughs> Blumhouse is developing a reboot Yay. of John Carpenter's The Thing. The what? With Carpenter on board. With Carpenter on board. While discussing working on the score to Halloween Kills, Carpenter was asked about other projects he was working on with Blumhouse. Carpenter said studio chief Jason Blum would be, quote, rebooting the thing before adding, I'm involved with that, maybe down the road, unquote. Critically and commercially disregarded when originally released in 1982, Carpenter's horror film is now widely considered a classic of the genre and among the director's best works. The thing follows a team of researchers in Antarctica being stalked by an alien that can... uh, Here it is. Are we? Nope. Yep. Hour and a half. (laughs) That can imitate other life forms. It was based on the 1938 novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr., uh, the story was previously adapted for the big screen in 1951 under the title The Thing from Another World, a prequel also called The Thing, starring Elizabeth uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and directed by Mahias von Heinzenegen, was <laughs> released in 2011 to middling critical and commercial success. I kind of liked the prequel. Here's the problem with the prequel, and you're not wrong. The prequel is actually pretty decent. I didn't say I decent. love it. I just said it, it, I kind of liked it. The problem with the prequel is, like the original thing, they developed an amazing array of practical effects. Yeah. Just, if you see the outtakes of some of the stuff they were developing, amazing. And then the studio says, what are we doing with those effects for? Digital effects are the way to go now. Yeah. And they scrapped all the physical stuff and put in all CG and it hurts the movie entirely. They kept some of the practical, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that they had intended to use, yeah. I yeah, wow. that was one of those things that's like the practical was so good and then they had to and didn't they end up having to delay the movie by several yes. months because yes. they had to go back and redo all this stuff yes, digitally. Oh. And, and it f- cost them more money. The thing. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. If of all the horror movies out there, there is no special effects like this. It, it is it's when it comes to effects in a horror film, mm. this is number one. Nothing beats it in my book. So to have that kind of, and it's known for that. So to have that kind of legacy and to go, ah, practical effects, who needs that in the thing? Let's, let's do these digital ones instead. And they didn't look great then, and they haven't aged well now. But this is in Blumhouse's care. And yeah. Carpenter's involved. Right. Mm. I, it'll but, probably, it, they haven't announced one thing or another. It'll probably be a combination of practical and digital, like most things are in that regard now. Well, how involved is 
Carpenter going to be, though? Well, uh, even there, we don't yeah. know. I, I'm going to oh. guess executive producer, maybe some music. I'm not going to lie. The last like clip I saw of him in an interview, he was looking rather frail. Like, Dude just came off a world tour. I think he's doing A-OK. All right. He's... <laughs> He's he's been like, doing he's, concerts, he, dude. He's lived the '60s and '70s life, so he's he. It's quite probable he's Keith Richardsing. Okay, <laughs> so I it like just that. had it had yeah. me worried because I was just like, well, oh, yeah. oh no, my, I understand. Sure. I've I've seen him in interview too, and it's, Carpenter's old, but he's no doubt. He's about also it. always. I, I don't mean to say he's looked old, but he's always had that lanky. Uh, he looks sick, strung out. He looked sickly when he was young and healthy. Yeah, there you go. So, I just got a great idea. Did you? What they have to do for this reboot? What do they have to do? They have to get Kurt Russell. Okay. And he he plays it like his character from Hateful Eight. <laughs> you mean smashing a priceless antique guitar <laughs> wow wow that's where jeff goes Man. that's where he goes right I, there. I just saw one of those movie right mistakes there. things recently and yeah the, yeah that's holy shit it was really funny too because i re- still remember when he did that and uh what's her name was like Ugh! that's that's her real reaction exactly because she totally focuses on a point off camera for an instant which you now well, yeah, realize is yeah. her looking at the director like, nah, nah. yeah, because there was supposed to be a pause, swap the guitars, and yeah, but well, uh, it was it was it was different, yeah, yeah. Oh, I th- well. well, I think it was supposed to be swapped off camera, like they were supposed to focus on Russell. They were supposed to, I, yeah. But at any rate, but yeah, in fact, <laughs> Russell felt so bad he offered to pay for it himself instead of having to use the movies insurance company but that's what insurance is for man that's right you're paying your monies you get your bennies or something i don't know i don't know but that's just that's just it's just kind of a neat story about kurt russell like kurt Kurt russell's a neat guy but you you hear a lot of little things like national treasure do the do the thing in a western with the hateful eight cast i'm on board come on quentin yeah let quentin direct (laughs) we're on you you and john (laughs) <laughs> Come together on this. Oh well, a Blue um, House production of. <laughs> I, I love the. I'm, I'm sure you haven't touched. And, and, them. and then at the end, Leonardo DiCaprio comes in the end and says, "Oh, that's the thing," and shoots it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, the thing is, bam, bam, with the blowtorch, <laughs> flamethrower. What was I going to say? Oh, the the. I I love the rumors, and I'm sure they're rumors, and therefore that's why you haven't brought it up about Tarantino's Star Trek. It's it's still a potential. It's one of the things they are still considering. Right, but they they're talking about the 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 Iotian planet, the piece of the action planet, a piece of the action, the uh, yeah. the the gangster planet. Uh huh. That's what it's rumored that. He, oh, okay. That's he, the rumor. That's I don't know if you K. I'm. I thought you were telling oh, me a joke. Oh. <laughs> I was wondering because he did give me the side eye. Yeah. He said piece of the action. I'm like, fuck you. Get- you did. You did. It was a verb. It was a visual. Visual. Uh, fuck you, K. I love that. That's great. I can act, folks. Wicked geek. <laughs> but wouldn't that be cool? I can get behind it. Yeah. If you're telling the truth. Now he's just, it's not now been, he's it's, just being hurtful, it's Jeff. It's never been referenced through any of the follow-up series. No, no. 
Marvel has reportedly struck an agreement with Olivia Wilde to direct a new film for, Sto- for Sony. The uh, project reported, uh, reported as a previously undisclosed secret movie reportedly will center on a female Marvel character. Quote, while not confirmed, it is expected that the story will be centered on Spider-Woman, the Deadline report states. This is Deadline Hollywood. They're pretty on the point. There's no Latino review. No, they're not the vulture. But uh, The movie will be written by Wilde and Katie uh, Silberman, who wrote Tom and Jerry movie, uh, who wrote the script for Wilde's last uh, directed feature, Booksmart. Formerly, Sony chairman Amy Pascal is producing the new Marvel film with Rachel O'Connor serving as executive producer. Uh, Pascal also has spider history, not only with the original Tobey Maguire Garfield Sony films, but also independently producing Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, Venom, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, as well as its upcoming sequel. Jeez, that's just a little, uh, a little background there. Yeah, just let you know what's what. Uh, so far, it appears that Wilde's Marvel movie is distinct from Sony's other female-focused Spidey-adjacent project, the Madam Web movie, reported earlier this year with S.J. Clarkson, who directed some of Jessica Jones, set to direct this as well. So what Olivia you, Wilde is yeah. going to direct. I had to look it up because you, I, you, I, I should have just waited because you said it in the article. But yeah, she directed that uh, movie Booksmart, and yeah. it got pretty good critical review from what I remember. Spider-Woman. I mean, aside from the spider spiderness, is there any other reason why people are thinking that? Because it's just, it's that's just speculation, right? People it, are, yeah. It, it is speculation, but usually when Deadline puts some speculation out there, Deadline has a lot of inside well, people. Okay. Yeah, that's I, true. I was just curious. Because to me... Because I don't do rumors, but if Deadline's reporting it, Spider Woman's kind of cool, but to me, and they they are doing Madam Web, which is yeah. like that's way obscure. Sure, Gwenpool. Oh yes, is yeah. the logical. But then again, I don't know if Wild, you know, is is that's 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 a level of you're going to need a little bit of comedy cred too there. Oh yeah, almost. You know, and I think doesn't Disney have the the Gwenpool? See, that's the other part. It's like who's got the rights to that because Gwenpool is in a right. weird fucking yeah. zone. Because yeah. I know Spider Gwen, Sony does own the rights to. Now Spider Gwen but... would also. Okay, Spider Gwen. That's what you meant, isn't it, Spider Gwen? Well, no, I was thinking you Gwen. Were... I no, was cause... thinking Gwen. I I what I did is I went to Spider Gwen. And then I went to the next level of Gwenpool. Oh, okay. But Spider-Gwen. Maybe Spider-Gwen. That'd be an interesting movie. I'd take it. You know. Sounds entertaining to yeah, me. Yeah, because Gwenpool, I don't know, that's a Taika Waititi. Yeah. But you, <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah. you want a female Taika Waititi. Who's a female Taika Waititi? Uh, me after the operation. <laughs> Sarah Silverman. Oh. Maybe, yeah. I accept your premise. Well, she th- has done she, some directing. She has? Uh, oh, most, shit. I think mostly like television. Herpy Derp. I I'd didn't even to, know. Well, I'd there have you to go. look that up. Okay. I have to look up Herpy Derp. Uh, <laughs> Herpy Derp. <laughs> well, I, uh, I solved that issue. You're welcome, Hollywood. Next. That's what we do. Uh, ben Cross. The, oh, The yeah. actor who played Spock's father, Sarek, yeah. in J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek. Has died at the age of 72. Cross took over the role from Mark Leonard, who played Sarek in the original Trek series. Uh, Cross's roles were both big, 
He led Oscar-winning hit Chariots of Fire. And he, she played a minor baddie in the Hurricane Heist as he lent his British training to sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. The actor also appeared in 12 Monkeys, The Twilight Zone, Pandora, Tales from the Crypt, Exorcist, The Beginning, Species, The Awakening, and Jack the Giant Killer. He recently went into voice acting, uh, performing in both Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Randy Cunningham, ninth grade ninja. Uh, Cross died 10 days after wrapping up work on his final film role, Cardinal Matthews, in the upcoming horror film, The Devil's Light. Wow. So we got one more grand performance from the man. You wrap up filming, you finish a gig, and 10 days later... Wow. Yeah. That's how you want to go out as an actor, man. I guess so. I want to be on camera. Everything's cleaned up and final edit done. I want them to just be like, okay, Kirsten, once more, but uh, faster and more intense. Well, didn't Alan Rickman also like die like your dates? Yeah. Like within a week of him finishing the last project he worked on? I don't know. I swear it's like a very similar story. But I want... Only the good British actors do that. That's a professionalism only they can bring. There you go. The method actors... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you'd think right but no no but yeah no. that's that's just one of those examples of how star trek is got people with really deep acting skills to play central characters um because i remember seeing the 09 star trek and and seeing I him and I like i'm like oh i know that guy and i where do i know him from and then it wasn't until later I realized I'd seen him in Chariots of Fire, and then you look at his IMDb page, and you only you only yeah. named off like a small yeah, part Todd, of what What's he the matter with you? Well, fuck but me. You douche. <laughs> you dick douche. I only have so much time in the show. <laughs> yeah, but this is memoriam. But yeah, another... <laughs> Yes, it is. This another is our memoriam success, success <laughs> segment. <laughs> Another quality actor gone. Yeah. Sad. Sad to hear. But what a Sark. And you said he was, what, 72, right? Yes. That's, yeah, that's that's too young. Yeah. Netflix and Stranger Things are prepping the launch of a drive through tour called Stranger Things, the Drive-Into Experience. The drive through is described as a, quote, interactive theater show that'll stage some of the series' biggest moments with live actors in front of detailed sets that mimic Hawkins' most memorable locations. Convoys of 24 cars at a time will move through each stop in downtown L.A., adding up to a full-scale Stranger Things story. Secret Cinema, the company behind the Starcourt Mall in the show's third season, is reportedly handling the set design. That's good pedigree. Which includes the murky depths of the Upside Down, the Russian Lab, and the Starcourt Mall itself. In addition to the sets and the live actors, the event also teases, quote, mind-blowing audio and visual effects, unquote. Uh, set to launch in October, tickets go on sale at the event's website beginning August 26th. There's already a waiting list, yeah. from my understanding. Yeah. 60 bucks a car, roughly $15. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta finish Stranger Things Season 2. Uh, I haven't finished it yet. I never Same finished here. it. I never did either. It's one of those things like I watched the first season, loved it. Yeah. And then I'm like, this is something my wife would like. So I'm going to wait and watch season two when I've got her caught up on one, two. Mm. And that ain't happened yet. So I will say part of the reason I haven't finished season two is that season two didn't grab me like the first one ah. did. Yeah. The the, the first episode, I didn't. 
didn't so, gel. Yeah, it was. I think I got three episodes in, and I was just kind of, I was kind of meh on it. Mm. And you know, I just always meant to go back and finish it because I mean, even even the first season, I wasn't like completely gaga over like some people, but I really enjoyed it. I actually started picking up interest, especially when like the Russian lab started, but. Something derailed me. I forget what. And I Squirrel. Just, I Shiny yeah, really. Like, I haven't. Man. I haven't been able to get back to it yet. But uh, I've been meaning to. I keep forgetting it exists. Frankly. That and uh, yeah, that and uh, Agents of Shield. I restarted Agents. Well, not restarted. I picked up where I left off on Agents of Shield, and I stalled out once again. Ugh. But that's just. I'm still sad that show's over. It's so funny because that that's a case of uh, intimidation. You know, it's like 22 episodes. Holy <laughs> fuck. Oh, my God. How do you is, binge that shit? Jesus. It is kind of funny now, like, when you have a, a series that has, you know, between 20 and 24 episodes yeah. in a season, and you're so used to these 10-episode, mm-hmm. yeah. 15 Remember when we seasons? used to bitch about the 10 yeah. episodes? And yeah. now it's just like 22. Fuck me. <laughs> oh, my Christ. This hurts. Uh, I, I think the real story here that I really love about this is this is the answer to Halloween in the age of COVID. Yeah. 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 So drive through Haunted House. Yeah. Fantastic. Everyone go. There you go. It's like the drive through strippers. Yes. What, whatever <laughs> keeps the shit alive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Amazon is launching the first season of full Starfinder RPG episodes set within the universe of the famous tabletop RPG. You know, Kirsten sits in this chair. It's a right. it's a very, very comfortable little office chair. But it has this thing where it's got the rocker is locked, but every now and then... <laughs> it gives it, way. It gives way. It pops. And this look of abject fear <laughs> just flashes into the eyes of commander k well, it's because he knows that one of these days it's not going to stop <laughs> when it gets in the near horizontal position and he's going to flip over the back of the chair and that's what we all think when it happens every single I, time that's why i yeah. had to stop <laughs> it's going to happen one of these days though we're going to get our entertainment todd <laughs> <laughs> wow just listen to well, I mean, if it was Andy, he'd flip over and wind up on his feet well, somehow. Yeah. You yeah, you yeah. or I, we'd yeah, wind Kay's up injuring ourselves. Yeah. Some, <laughs> some, someone's going to lose a finger. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm going to start this one over. Amazon is yes. launching the first full season of full Starfinder RPG episodes set within the universe of the famous tabletop RPG. It follows a pilot episode, Scoundrels in the Spike, which hit Alexa last December, which was successful enough to justify making a fully cast six-episode first season. The show is a co-production between the game makers Piazzo and Audible, uh, starring Laura Bailey and Nathan Fillion. Uh, Much like the pilot, users will be able to influence the decisions made in-game, and Amazon expects it to have a playtime of around 13 hours. 13 cast members spend 125 hours in the studio to record 745 pages of material. All you need to do to play is uh, tell Alexa that you want to, quote, play the Starfinder game. Oh, and pay the fee. The pilot and the first episode are free, but after that you'll need to pay either $2 per episode or $10 for the season. 
Uh, speaking of which, you'll only be able to play the first half of the season right now with the final three episodes dropping in October. Uh, this isn't the first time Alexa has been used as an interactive audio tool, although the star names make it the highest profile. Back in 2017, the BBC designed an interactive story for the platform in which your dialogue was included into the text of the piece. Amazon says that you don't need to be familiar with Starfinder's existing lore to enjoy the title, which is designed for newcomers. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know anything about Starfinder. So it's a, a, a choose-your-adventure radio show? Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that's, okay. that's pretty much what it is, using the Starfinder world. All right. And that, that's been around for a while, right? They didn't, yeah, bit. they used to yeah. do that like on CDs where you would just, if if, if you pick this thing, you jump to track whatever. and Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's basically that new fancy Alexalized. Interesting. Moonbase 8 is coming to Showtime from stars slash co-creators Fred Armisen, uh, Tim Heidecker, and John C. Riley, along with Jonathan Krizzel. The six-episode series focuses on three less-than-great astronauts hoping to go to the moon as they spend their time in an Arizonian moon-based simulator. Uh, there, things apparently get weird. Uh, directed by Chris L., the show will premiere later this fall. Well, you had me at John C. Riley and Fred Armisen. So. And weird. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Weird, though. Is it like I don't know. cosmic weird? I don't know. Is it sexually weird? Well, you know what? It, it says more here that quickly and weirdly unravel. So, oh. so baby, so I don't think it's okay. so cosmic weird. Okay, all right. You know, it's funny though. I like every time I hear John C. Riley now, I'm expecting a comedy, but then you forget that he started his career doing more serious films, and he's yeah. like these. He's a bit player in like all of these movies, like from the you know late '80s and and the '90s, and you're just like, oh wait, that's John oh, C. Riley, Magnolia, Magnolia, man. Magnolia yeah. yeah, yeah. Damn, you want to? See, oh God, I love that movie. The Voyage to the Stars podcast will be released as a comic book from IDW Publishing, premiering, uh, well, this obviously Pay was, attention, Jake. It's already out. The improvised podcast starring Colton Dunn, Felicia Day, Janet Varney, Kristen Vagness, and Steve Berg has been turned into a miniseries written by five-time Harvey Award nominee James Asmus with art by Connie Diodone. In the comic, Voyage to the Stars' underqualified crew has managed to survive Earth's obliteration, and now they're determined to thwart a consuming ancient evil from devouring the whole world. Thwart. Universe. Sorry, not world. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> they they kind of missed small it. here. I'm thinking small. Uh, but stopping this frightening threat could be tricky business due to our bumbling heroes constantly destroying near, nearly every planet and alien species they encounter. Voyage to the Stars started in 2019 with his misfit band of 23rd century space explorers stuck on the wrong side of a wormhole. With 2.5 million downloads in its inaugural year and over 100,000 viewers on Twitch, the irreverent sci-fi podcast is consistently ranked in the top 100 for comedy. Uh, I started listening to this this week to yeah. get, get a little more on this, and it's a very entertaining improv sci-fi comedy. So if it's it's very Felicia Day when it comes down to okay. it. When you see Felicia's Day on this, it's like if you think about her comedy and comedy style, it's it's that kind of comedy. So it's worthwhile. Interesting to see how it turn into a comic. Yeah. And we mentioned it a few weeks back. I'm finally getting to this story. Warner Brothers Home Entertainment is releasing the very first interactive DC Universe movie, Batman: Death in the Family. 
The official trailer shows off some of the branching narrative choices you'll face following a choose-your-own-adventure-type format. The film is directly inspired by 1988's four-issue A Death in the Family story arc, where outcome was entirely voted on by readers. Batman Under the Red Hood, the animated feature from 2010, influenced the project as well. Batman Death in the Family arrives this fall in an anthology combo pack that includes four animated DC showcase shorts, Sergeant Rock, Adam Strange, Death, and The Phantom Stranger. The set includes several different non-interactive versions of Death in the Family, uh, Under the Red Hood, Reloaded, Jason Todd's Rebellion, uh, Robin's Revenge, and Red Hood's Reckoning. Lots of shorts in this thing. Uh, DC Showcase, Batman, Death in the Family arrives on Blu-ray in October 13th. Hmm. Uh, it's an interesting way to take that since, yes, yeah. the original, if you're not familiar, um, this is in the 80s. Yep. Uh, Death in the Family, they were writing the story arc within the Batman comic itself. But when it started, there was a, was it a number you could call, I believe? Yes, yes. it was a 900 number. Yes, you yes. had to pay. Yeah. This is in the 900 you age had of to things. pay to vote yeah yeah you, you had voted. to pay to vote to kill robin yeah that was the choice should robin survive this story the or jason not? todd robin yes and uh, uh voted down heavily my understanding very highly voted to kill him so yes that is how robin overwhelming died. yeah it was like it was it was like it wasn't even close it was like overwhelming like apparently it came out like after that whole thing that a lot of readers just hated the Jason Todd version of of Robin, and they were like, "Get him off of the the comics." Not my, not my Robin. Because, I'm a real comics fan. Because mm-hmm. yeah, Grayson had already gone on to become Nightwing, so right. Yeah, the Jason Todd character was the quote unquote replacement sidekick, and yeah, there were a lot of readers that did not like him at all. Mm. So see, Joker didn't kill Robin. You did. Who else did you want to kill? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. Katie's Jeff. Commander K. And we'll talk to you next week. And geek. <sighs> I got it. What? Podcast name for Jake. Oh. We just we just talked about it. Okay. The Jaker. I see what you're doing there. I'm not yeah. sure it's... Uh, it, it, it's one of those things that needs an exclamation. Like if, if I just went up to somebody, hey, I'm starting a podcast. Oh, yeah, what's it about? I don't know yet, but it's called The Jaker. Well, at least he's not going to like get a, a heavy sidekick and call it Jake and the Fat Man. Copyright. Jesus Christ. Just Nobody remembers not. that show anymore. Yeah, that, <laughs> and be th- fine. that gets you a pass on copyright. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, it uh, it just, you know. That that could be kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> you know, it uh, it just you know that that could be kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> you know, it uh, it just you know that that could be kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> you know, it uh, it just you know that that could be kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but uh. <laughs> You know, it uh, it just, you know, that that could be kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway.